Well, good morning, Crossmans. My name is Karen, and I'm one of the teaching pastors on staff here. And I'm super excited to be with you this morning as we continue on in our Connected series. This morning, we're going to take a look at the five love languages. And I'm going to be really honest, I have been totally geeking out with this the last several weeks. It is super interesting to me to look at the different people in my life and to try and determine what I think their love language is. Originally, author Gary Chapman wrote his best-selling book for couples. However, he quickly learned that it was not only couples who benefited from knowing and understanding these five love languages. He wrote this in the introduction of one of his editions. Married or single, young or old, every human has the emotional need to feel loved. When this need is met, we move out to reach our potential for God and our potential for good in the world. However, when we feel unloved, we struggle just to survive. Nothing has more potential for strengthening one's sense of well-being than effectively being loved and loving. We read these words in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this morning, we're going to learn how to better love our neighbor using these five love languages as a tool. Each one of us in this room has a relationship with someone, right? We are parents, children, spouses, siblings, friends, coworkers. We all have a title that in and of itself puts us in relationship with someone. The interesting thing about relationships is they can either bring us our greatest sense of joy and happiness, and they also could bring us the deepest of hurts depending on the quality of that relationship. If we hear these words this morning with ears to hear and hearts to understand, there's a good chance that we will look at our relationships differently. Chapman shares this, I am convinced there are only five fundamental love languages, five ways to express love emotionally. Of the five love languages, each of us has a primary language. One of the five speaks more deeply to us emotionally than the other four. We can receive love through all five, but if we don't receive our primary love language, we will not feel loved even though the person is speaking the other four. However, if they speak our primary love language sufficiently, then the other four provide icing on the cake. So real quickly, the five love languages are words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. We're gonna to take a look at each one of these, what they are and what they're not. So here is our big idea for this morning. The five love languages are a real practical way for us to demonstrate the love of God to people. The five love languages are a real practical way for us to demonstrate the love of God to people. And Jesus showed us the way to do this in earthly ministry by modeling each of the five love languages for us. So we're going to jump right in to love language number one, words of affirmation. I think you would agree with me that words have power. I'm sure everyone in this room can think of a time that words have torn them down 
just as quickly as you can think of a time that words have lifted you up and encouraged you. Chapman shares that it is a difficult love language for some. Depending on the environment that you grew up in, you may find it incredibly difficult to encourage and affirm others in your life. For those, though, who grew up in a supportive, encouraging home with parents who built them up, practicing words of affirmation will come easily. These are the people in our circles that we can pinpoint as encouragers. They're constantly affirming and encouraging and expressing words of appreciation to others. For others, learning this love language may take more time to learn and practice, conscious practice. Very simply, words of affirmation are simply true statements affirming the worth of another person. True statements affirming the worth of another person. It's a positive declaration. It means saying the assumed but unspoken to and about someone. Sometimes it may seem like we're saying something awkward and maybe even obvious, but for a person whose primary love language is words of affirmation, words are never wasted on them. When we speak these words to another, we're not doing it to get affirmation in return from them. We are doing it because we are choosing to love them. Sadly, many of us focus on the negative. Instead of affirming the positive, we tend to get or bring attention to the negatives about a situation. It's important to bring the positive to light. So very simple examples of these positive affirmations. Thanks for taking the time to make such a delicious dinner. I really appreciate the effort you took. I appreciate the time and effort you put into your work. You did a great job with your positive attitude is contagious. You look amazing today. All positive affirmations. You get the idea. The list could be endless. When you take time to consciously lift a person up with your words, especially a person whose primary love language is words of affirmation, it can make a monumental difference in your relationship. In Matthew 26, we see an example of words of affirmation from Jesus. So a woman uh, comes to Jesus with a very expensive, expensive bottle of perfume and she pours it over Jesus' head. The disciples were very upset by this and considered it to be an incredible waste. So starting in verse 10, we read this. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus, while the disciples were tearing this woman down for what she did, Jesus affirmed and lifted her up. Paul encourages words of affirmation as well in Ephesians 4:29. It says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Under words of affirmation, there are two dialects, if you will, words of praise and kind words. Words of praise recognize an accomplishment. All around us, there are people who daily expend energy for the benefit of others. 
appreciate them with your words. Kind words seems kind of obvious, right? The kicker with kind words is that it's not just the words that you say, but the manner in which you say them. I know I am super guilty of sending one message with my words and another with my body language and tone. Does anyone else understand that? I get in trouble more for my face and my body language than my words all the time. I want to say the right thing, but my brain and my face don't always work together. What we say matters. How we say it matters equally as much. Love language number two is gifts. A gift is a tangible object that says, I was thinking about you. I wanted you to have this. I love you. The important thing is not the gift, but the emotional love that was communicated by the gift. The right gift is any token, big or small, that speaks this emotional love. Some of the very best gifts that I have ever received have been from my nieces. I have a painting that hangs on my living room wall, and I remember when I first opened it, my sister-in-law was like, remember, this is a gift of love. It was made with love. Like she was warning me before I opened it that I had to respond in a positive way. And I opened it, and I absolutely loved it. I truly did absolutely love it. So much so that it hangs on my living room wall. I have a piece of construction paper that was painted on from the same niece that hangs over my desk at work and has hung there for years because I truly treasure it. Dandelions. I guarantee there are not very many adults in this room who have not received dandelions as a gift from children in your life, right? They last minutes. They leave residue on your hands forever. But the excitement and joy and love that they represent are huge. When I was first um, diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, I was having a really hard time with my hands. They were very um, painful. They hurt all the time. And my mom ordered me these amazing microwavable buckwheat mitts that she saw. That was an amazing gift for me because she knew how much my hands were bothering me. It was a true expression of love. Many have commented on the cross that I wear daily, and that was also an expression of love from another one of my parents. Remember, it does not matter what the gift is. It's the attitude of love that is expressed with that gift. An important note regarding gifts. A gift, uh, by its very nature, is not payment for services rendered. When someone says, I will give you X, Y, or Z, if you will do this, that is not a gift or an expression of love. That's a deal. A gift is given without strings attached. As soon as strings are attached, it ceases to be a gift. A gift is also not given to make up for something. So some think that if they get into a fight or a little argument with their spouse and they come home with flowers, the flowers are going to smooth over the harsh words that were spoken. They are a way of making up for a wrong. That is not a gift. A gift is a gift only when given as a genuine expression of love, not as an effort to cover past failures. Additionally, there is one gift that no one needs, and everyone will see through it, and that is the counterfeit gift. 
These are gifts that are designed to take the place of true love. Such gifts are given by those who are too busy to speak any of the other four love languages. So they strive to make up for it by buying extraneous gifts. No one needs counterfeit gifts. They're going to see through it. That isn't love. If you're like me, you may get stressed regarding gift giving. What I've discovered is that I need to listen to the people I care about. I take an interest in what interests them, and then gift giving doesn't seem so hard. It's 100% easier to buy gifts for the people we truly love and care about and know than it is for people we don't know. Take time to know the people you care about, their interests, their likes and dislikes. It takes time and the conscious choice to listen. So when my mom saw those buckwheat mitts advertised, wherever it was she saw them, she immediately thought of me because she knew what I was going through. That's what a gift does. In Luke 6.38, we hear these words from Jesus. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Love language number three is acts of service. One of the clearest pictures uh, of acts of service comes in scripture from John 13, verses 1 through 5. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Jesus, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Chapman writes this in his chapter on acts of service. In our self-centered society, the idea of service may seem anachronistic, but the lift of service to others has always been recognized as a life worthy of emulation. In every vocation, those who truly excel have a genuine desire to serve others. The most notable physicians view their vocation as a calling to serve the sick and diseased. Truly great political leaders see themselves as public servants. The greatest of all educators see students as indiv individuals and gain their greatest reward from seeing each student reach their potential in developing their talents and interests. Service to others is our greatest aspiration. Acts of service is simply expressing your love by doing something for another person. Expressing your love by doing something for another person. This sometimes takes effort and planning, and it will most certainly take time. It is a service freely given by choice. It's, not, it's very different from coercion by fear or guilt. Coercion and guilt have no place in love. Rather, when we perform acts of service, we say, I love you, and so I did this thing for you. I'm going to be super honest. Acts of service is on the bottom of my list. But one of my closest friends, Pastor Betty, 
has acts of service at the top of her list. Nothing would make Betty happier than if I showed up at her house and offered to wash her dishes and vacuum her house. Truly. In the winter, nothing would say I love you to Betty more than if I brushed the snow off her car in the parking lot and started it for her before she had to go out in the freezing cold. I know these things about her and others who also have acts of service at the top of their list. I consciously have to put forth effort to serve in simple ways. It doesn't have to be glamorous. I will put one word of caution here. Not everyone receives acts of service as a way of love. You really need to know those who you are serving. While Betty would welcome me to wash her dishes, many would be offended at the offer of doing something they could easily do themselves. Or they may just simply prefer love to be shown in a different way. Please don't show up at my house and offer to wash my dishes. I can do that myself, okay? But many would be like, please, come, do my laundry, do my dishes, whatever it takes. Get it done. The fourth love language is quality time. This one may sting just a little bit. People who desire quality time want togetherness. I don't just mean proximity. It is easy to be near another person, to be in the same house or the same room even, but not truly be together. Togetherness has to do with focused attention. It is giving someone else your undivided attention. We have a fundamental desire to connect with others. You may work with others throughout your day. You may be in a place where you're constantly around people, but being around people and connecting with people are two very different things. Just as there were different dialects for words of affirmation, there are different dialects for quality time. The first one is quality conversation. This is a sympathetic dialogue where two individuals or a small group of individuals are sharing their experiences, their thoughts, their feelings, their desires in a friendly, uninterrupted way. When you listen in quality conversations, you will ask questions with a genuine intention to understand the thoughts and feelings of the person that you are with. It is also important that both individuals reciprocate and have an opportunity to share. Hearing from one another is an important part of quality conversation. Conversations are not one-sided. Both people need to be willing to share openly and honestly. The second one is quality listening. Quality listening is probably one of the downfalls of most humans, right? We do not always listen with the intent to understand, but rather the intent to respond. Real quickly, Chapman lists eight characteristics of quality listening. First, maintain eye contact when you are listening to someone. Don't look over them. Don't look at their feet. Look at them. Don't engage in other activities while you're listening to another individual. This is the one that's going to sting. This is going to be the hardest for some of us, or maybe just for me. Remember, quality time is giving someone your undivided attention. If you cannot give your undivided attention, be honest. Tell the person when you will have the ability to do so. Listen for feelings and ask for verification of that feeling. 
it sounds like you're feeling this. Observe body language. Don't interrupt. Ask reflective questions. This helps you as the listener understand and be sure your perception of what the person is saying is accurate. Express understanding. And finally, ask if there's anything that you might be able to do that would be of help to them. Quality listening. The third dialect is quality activities. Do things together that you enjoy, that you both enjoy. And sometimes do something that your friend, partner, parent, sibling enjoys. It doesn't matter what it is that you're doing, but why you are doing it, to spend quality time together. A good friend of mine loves to play games. Her husband, not so much. You know what, though? He still does it because he loves his wife, and he knows how much she enjoys it. It's an activity that they can do to spend time with one another. He loves to golf. She doesn't necessarily love it, but she goes with him, and she's learning because it's something they can do together, and she knows how much he enjoys it. Several years ago, my sister and I both um, started a tradition with our nieces independently around the idea of quality time. We each will ask them when it's their birthday if they would prefer a gift or a birthday date. They basically have the opportunity to choose between a toy and a surprise activity with us by themselves. At a very early age, I think my older niece um, was three on the first birthday that we did this, they have chosen birthday dates. They will tell you, and for years they will have told you this. She's uh, 11 now. They will tell you it is way more fun to go on a birthday date than to open a present. These aren't extraneous dates. We might go out to dinner. We might go to the zoo. Our kids need uninterrupted quality time with us too, and they enjoy it more than we give them credit for. In Scripture, we see a few places where Jesus spent quality time with others. In Matthew 9, he had dinner at Matthew's house. In Luke 19, Jesus went and stayed with Zacchaeus. And then in Luke 24, Jesus spent quality time with his disciples after his resurrection. My favorite story, however, is a familiar one um, for many of you, I'm sure. And it's the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10 starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary got it right. The final love language is physical touch. And please hear this before you maybe tune me out. This is not simply related to intimate relationships. Physical touch is not necessarily a sexual connotation, although between marriage partners that probably should be part of it. People either love to be touched or they hate it, right? There are huggers and there are non 
huggers. Chapman writes this of physical touch. When we were babies, before we could even crawl or eat solid food, we thrived on love. Numerous research projects in the area of child development have come to the same conclusion. Babies who are held, hugged, and touched tenderly develop a healthier emotional life than those who are left for long periods of time without physical contact. That makes sense to you, right? Physical touch can make or break a relationship very similar to our words. Physical touch can communicate love or hate. This is probably the stickiest of the five love languages. It is especially important for people whose primary love language of physical touch to understand that not everyone receives love the same way. It is important to know who you are with, what they are comfortable with, and what they are not. If you go to hug someone or pat them on the back and they stiffen up, physical touch is not their primary love language, and you probably need to learn to show your affection in a different way for them. It's also important to know when to use physical touch. Observe how close or far away from you a person is standing. Observe their body language. Take notice of the setting. Hugging your teenage son in front of all of their friends when you drop them off at school probably is not going to get the same response as hugging your teenage son in the kitchen before you leave home. Take notice of the setting. The most important thing about physical touch is it never uses force, but always seeks the appropriate time, place, and manner in which to express affirming touch. Physical touch is definitely not at the top of my love language list or even my secondary. There are people who truly believe that I am not a hugger, and if you asked me, I would probably tell you they're right to a certain degree. The thing is, I am very much a hugger in the right situations with the right people. I know there are some people who will literally hug anyone they meet. That is not me. I am not that girl. It takes comfort and trust and relationship in order for me to hug someone. With those people, I am very much a hugger. I mentioned Pastor Betty earlier and how her love language is acts of service. Betty consciously chooses to hug me. Physical touch is not her preferred way, and there are times when I pick on her just a little bit for that, but there have been many times when she has said to me, let me hug you, when she knows that that is what I need, and she's willing to freely give it, despite it not being her preferred love language. That is how successful relationships with people work. When one is willing to make a sacrifice for another to be sure their love and care is communicated in a way that they will easily be able to receive. Hugging is amazing medicine. It transfers energy and it gives the person hugged an emotional boost. Someone somewhere said one needs four hugs a day for survival, eight for maintenance, and 12 for growth. Now, we're coming off a time when that has not really been a welcome thing, right? I can tell you I went 42 days in the spring, 42 days with no hugs in 2020. I went 42 days and we could not last any longer. And my friend and I who were together every day, we walked together every day. After the 42 days, we're like, enough's enough. We're done. And we 
uh, hugged, and it was an amazing feeling after that long. When oxytocin is flowing, stress is reduced, blood pressure goes down, and mood improves, and pain even is more manageable. Extending physical touch to others must be done, though, with wisdom and discernment. Don't allow fear to keep you from showing love in this way, but do it right. Ask for permission. Some have a difficult time asking for love to be shown in this way, but what they really might need is a hug, and they're just afraid to ask for it. We see Jesus use physical touch a few times in Scripture. In Matthew 8, Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, and then a few verses later, he touched Peter's mother-in-law and healed her. In Mark 10, we read this about Jesus' interaction with the youngest believers. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. As I think about certain relationships in my life, it's easy for me to identify what the primary love language is for some, while I have a more difficult time with others. That's why it's important to love using all five of the love languages to the best of our ability to communicate love to those who are important to us. As you watch others in your life, notice how they most readily and easily demonstrate their love. When I take a step back and consider how others give and receive love in my life, I'm recognizing that each person is unique and each person deserves to be loved in that way. I will brush Pastor Betty's car off, but Pastor Craig would probably cringe if I went towards his beloved truck with a snowbrush. I need to learn to show him love in a different way. I encourage you this week as you think about the five love languages to do, uh, it's a free online assessment if you have never done it before. Just Google five love language assessment and choose the one that best fits your situation. You can even have your kids do a children's version. Don't be afraid to ask others in your life about their love language and suggest that they do it as well and then talk about your results. It truly is very interesting and can do huge things in your relationships. Remember that no matter how well you have loved or not loved in the past, today's a new day with new understanding, a new opportunity to love and be loved by those you do life with. John 13 verses 34 and 35 say this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus demonstrated his love using all five of the love languages. God gave us the ultimate gift in sending his son to die on our behalf for our sins. If you haven't yet made that decision to follow Christ, maybe today that would be your next step. Maybe today would be the day you commit to being loved by your Heavenly Father. If you have made that next step, maybe today you need to commit to loving your spouse or your parents, your kids, your friends, in a way that truly communicates to them how you feel. Wherever you are today, I encourage you to take whatever your next step of faith is, knowing that you are loved 
beyond earthly measure by a heavenly Father who wants nothing more than to be in relationship with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you and praise you so much for the love that you have bestowed upon us, Lord. Lord, for your word that gives us all of these different examples of ways to show love to people in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you, um, that your word continues to teach and instruct us how to better love the people in our lives. Lord, would you help us today, this week, this month, Lord, to take uh, these five love languages and to really assess how we can better love the people around us, how we can better show them your love, God. Lord, wherever we are at this morning, we just ask that you meet us in this place that you would go before us, Lord, and continue uh, to have these words resonate with us, Lord, that they would uh, transform the way we look at our relationships. God, we love you and we praise you in your name.